speaking about that passage that we read earlier, Elizabeth wrote, there's a line in the Bible that has meant a lot to me. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. She goes on to say, wasting away is a phrase which strikes a real chord with me personally. Not that I am unique in that. Wasting away is something that happens to most of us to one degree or another as we make our way from the cradle to the grave. So where do we find that kind of hope that's exuded in Elizabeth's story? Advent is all about the reality of hope, hope found in Christ. And so we're considering this passage speaking to us about Jesus being supreme over all. And it's inviting all of us to know him as our maker and to know him as our reconciler. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Ireland, we like to say that people are the image of their parents or their mom or their dad, you know, he's the image of you. I think the kids are more like Nick, aren't they, Dorothy? Sorry. They do, they do, they look like Nick. Very handsome, mind, of course. But this is more than a family resemblance here in, in verse 15. It reminds us of how it all began. It reminds us of how humanity was created in the image and likeness of God. That image was, you could say, uh, disfigured as a consequence of the choice humanity made to turn against God, known as the fall. But that was different with this image bearer, with this Jesus. When Jesus is born as the image of the invisible God, his image, his physical presence, his words, his actions reveal God perfectly. In Jesus, you have the unmarred vision image of God. God moves into our line of sight in the person of Jesus and is perfectly revealed, not in a spoiled way, but flawlessly and in an accessible way. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know the kind of confidence that Elizabeth was describing and that we are celebrating, to find joy and hope in life and death, look to this Jesus because he makes the invisible God visible and accessible, and you can see and know God. That is the theme of Advent. Christmas is God coming into your sight like never before. He is the firstborn over all creation, this Jesus. He is firstborn, but he is distinct. So we saw William's Lego creations earlier. He is the creator of that Lego, but he's distinct from it. Jesus is distinct from creation. So when it talks about the fact that he is the firstborn, it's not that he was the first creation or that he was the most wonderful creation. How could it be said that he created all things if he himself was another piece of Lego? If he himself was created and not distinct from creation himself. No, you see, all things were created through him and for him, we're told in verse 16. For by him all things were created, 
And so this firstborn is telling us about how he is supreme overall. He is the one who inherits all things. He's supreme and unmatched. It's not like me saying Finn is our firstborn son. You know, he isn't greater than Jonah or Maeve, though he would like to think himself supreme over them. All things were created through Jesus and all things were created by and for Jesus. The Jesus born to Mary, that firstborn Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, when he was physically born, that first Christmas, he not only witnessed every day of life ever lived up to that point by every human who ever lived, he had created all reality. He had created the cosmos and now he entered into it. He has no beginning and end. Jesus pre-existed his birth. He is your maker, the creator God himself. He is Lord of all creation and no human power, whether political or spiritual, can surpass or usurp him. And when you know Jesus is your maker, you have nothing to truly fear in life or in death. Because nothing is greater than him. Nothing and no one exists who is more powerful. Nothing can threaten his position. And therefore, that means nothing can undermine your security when you know he is your maker. He is supreme over every circumstance we encounter. And though the ground shifts and gives way beneath us in this life, though we waste away, Though we grieve, though we stand by gravesides, nothing will be wasted or lost when we know Jesus as our maker. All things were created by him and for him and will be renewed by him. And nothing is lost that's in him. No one that is for him will come asunder, not even in death. Knowing he is your maker is to know security and the type of non-circumstantial joy Elizabeth spoke of. It allows you to say, even when you are in a wheelchair and you're wasting away, that such a thing for a few years is neither here nor there. It's the only way you can say that. Even when your life feels like it's falling apart and you sense control and capacity slip through your fingers, even though you fear the future, he will hold you together. He is your maker. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things Hold together. He will hold you together. He is your maker. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is. So what we have talked about in him being the firstborn is not about him coming first, but about his isness, his eternal reality. And so, do you think that the losses of our lifespan are beyond him and his eternal power and reality? He is before it all, and in him all things hold together. 
All of creation is permanently dependent upon him. Without his continuous sustaining intervention work, everything would fall apart, including you and me. Maybe you feel like your life is falling apart. Maybe it is. Grasp the magnitude of these verses, therefore. He is before all things, and in him all things hold. They hold together. We cannot hold our lives together. Not one single person in this room is in control of their life. None of us are in control of our lives, regardless of how it may appear. We are all wasting away. He will hold you together, and when all falls asunder, which it will, from our wasting away, he will hold you even then. He never loosens his grip of you. All of this world, all things, all hold together in him. Just like a head is securely fastened to a body. As we find in verses 18 to 19. And he is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning. And the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. The church is described as a body. And Jesus as the head. No human is head of any church. You'd be glad to know I'm not the head of this church. No human is head of any church, regardless of what some might say or think. And that's a good thing. Jesus alone is the head of the church. There it is looking at, <laughs> looking at us at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. That's Jesus' role alone. It's a living, vital connection. He is the head that is telling you that we are all dependent upon him and cannot live without him. Life is not sustainable without connection to the head. The body cannot function. With him as the head, we are held together, therefore, and live. And we are held together, therefore, even through death. As oxymoronic as that may sound because he is the first born from the dead verse 18 he is the beginning and the first born from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy I spoke to Hazel and, and Ruth on the phone uh, during the week a very striking conversation I asked how they both were doing and I asked Hazel, I think in particular at that point, how she was doing. And she just responded quick as can be and said, thankful. I just feel this incredible sense of thankfulness. Thankful that Elizabeth knew Jesus through her life. Thankful that she followed Jesus all her life. And then she finished with this sentence. Hazel said to me, and now in her death that everything has come to its fulfillment. 
Hazel could say that because she understands what Jesus being the firstborn, first from the dead, means. As did Elizabeth. It's a reference to the resurrection of Jesus. His defeat of death and the grave and the guarantee of the same for all who are held together in him. He shows us what our future looks like. The hope of a physical resurrection. William's Lego bodies. One of his aunt in a wheelchair. One of his aunt standing. No longer frail and broken or wasting away. But made new. Fit for a physical reality. We're not designed for some fluffy experience in the clouds. God created a physical world. Jesus lived in a physical body. He will restore us physically to enjoy a physical reality in a new heavens and new earth. That's what Elizabeth was referencing. And that's what William was describing in his Lego figurine. And Jesus is the first example of what is to come. He wins over everything that wastes us away day by day. That inward renewal leads to a holistic, physical, renewed, perfected outcome. That is the trajectory for us in Christ. To know him as your maker, therefore, is to know he will make you anew. And death is not the end. Death does not have the last word. Jesus always has the final say. He is the firstborn from the dead. And he is also not just our maker, but our reconciler. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God was pleased. He was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to become a person. It pleased him to have all his fullness dwell in human form in the person of Jesus. It pleased God to be born. It pleased him to be a baby in first century Palestine. It pleased him to walk and talk with us and to come alongside us. He was pleased to dwell as he did. He chose that. He delighted in that. He held nothing back. He wasn't reluctant about it or forced into it. He was pleased. Pleased to choose that path and to dwell in all his fullness among us. And he was pleased to dwell as he did. Why? To reconcile us to himself. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It pleased him. He wanted that. He came to achieve that. He took pleasure in how his incarnation enabled reconciliation. Now, what is your impression of God? Do you think of him as, as distant, reluctant, grumpy, 
hesitant, slow to move towards you, quick to condemn you. A God who wants you to prove yourself to him, perhaps. A God who is aloof and too holy to get down into the level of the kind of muck and mess that you're dealing with. A God who might give you maybe one chance, maybe two, possibly, and then turn his back on you for good. A God unable to hold your particular unspoken and broken life together. Well, that's not the God we meet in this passage. That is the God which your circumstance is forcing you to focus upon, but it is not the God of the Scriptures. No, Jesus is your reconciler, and he is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, that you may know he is your maker and know he is your reconciler. Elizabeth knew that. She wrote, Mom and Dad brought me up in the Christian faith. As I got older and stopped just assuming that everything my parents said was true, I came to believe for myself. Believe what? Well, that the Bible really is God's word. That Jesus really is God's son who came to pay the price for our living for ourselves and not for our creator. I came to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. That he gives me spiritual life so that inwardly I'm being renewed and made more like Jesus. That one day Jesus will return to judge the earth and make all things new, including my body. That's not to say that my faith has been a nice, easy progression in a forward direction all the time, or that I am not a work in progress. I know that my life doesn't always or ever look like Jesus really is my Lord, and I am so grateful that his love doesn't depend on my deserving it. There have been times when I've questioned everything, even wondering whether I've been fooled, and really there's no God, nothing there at all. Each time, however, God held on to me, even when I haven't felt able to hold on to him. That's what we're celebrating. God knows none of us can hold on to him. It pleased him on that first Christmas morning to show how he intended to hold on to us. It pleased him to dwell with all his fullness, give his all, his everything, in order to hold on to us and bring peace and reconciliation. That's how the argument flows from who Jesus is to what he has done in this short but packed chunk of scripture. One follows the other. Though all things were created through him and for him, humanity wanted to break away from God and all creation regressed, as it were, as we became estranged from God. And God was pleased to move towards us. He would do more than just mop up our mess or even give us a clean slate. He does more than that. He was pleased to act in such a way as to make all things new by bringing peace and reconciliation into our experience. And he did that by wasting away himself in his death on the cross. He made peace through his own blood, through the wrong that was ours. Though the wrong was ours, rather, he owned it. 
and took the penalty for it. And in so doing, he made space for us to be welcomed in again. It pleased him to have all his fullness to dwell, not just in the stable, but in the wooden beams of the cross that we might experience peace, reconciliation, to know him as our maker, to know what that kind of inner renewal looks like day by day. Lots of different language used to explain what the cross of Christ achieves. Here in this section of scripture is a language of reconciliation and peace. The cross makes things right between us and God. And it is enough. It is sufficient. It is effective. It is enduringly purposeful and complete. He makes peace. And he holds on to us. The same Jesus who holds everything together held his arms out wide on the cross to bring us back to God. He has the power to do that and not only to do that but to reconcile all things to him. In other words, to restore harmony and peace to this broken world to finally end the wasting away and fulfill renewal for all of the cosmos. Hazel said that she was thankful that now God has brought Elizabeth's faith to fulfillment. We celebrate that today. We celebrate that this Advent and every day. Though outwardly we may be wasting away, inwardly in Christ we are being renewed day by day because Jesus is supreme over all. So know he is your maker. Know he is your reconciler. Elizabeth knew that. She lived that. And she wanted us all to know that increasingly. Now I know this is not Elizabeth's funeral, but her wishes remain as pertinent to this occasion as to that. So may God by his spirit bring her wishes to fruition. When she said, basically, I'd like the Christians that come to go home encouraged and the non-Christians to hear the gospel and to sense something of the joy and the hope that could be theirs and that I wish was theirs in life as well as in death. May it be so. Let's pray. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Thank you, Father, that you are pleased to have all your fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. We thank you that Jesus is supreme over all. May we, in this moment, in this time, in this mixture of celebration and grief know the reality of your supreme being in our lives bring us comfort hold us together where we're falling apart assure us of your spirit bring us comfort bring us healing bring us your grace and bring us confidence knowing 
that your blood is enough, even for us. We thank you, Lord, for the fulfillment that we have witnessed already in the coming of Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. The fulfillment that we have seen in the lives of those who have known you. The fulfillment that Hazel celebrated in my conversation with her this week, last week. And Father, we pray that the reality of that fulfillment would bring our experience hope and joy. Infuse our every day with that, we pray. May we be encouraged and may we know something more of that hope and joy that we have in life and death in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.